what would happen if a nonprofit treated its donors the way a, a good company treats its customers, thinking about how they retain them, thinking about how they keep them? It's an interesting idea that we're going to explore today on the podcast. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. And it is official. We've hit number 50, 50 episodes of Using the Whole Whale. Thanks for those of you just joining and for longtime supporters. Uh, as a quick uh, maybe 50th birthday present, if you have 37 seconds, which is the record I've seen for this, if you have 37 seconds, please leave us a rating in the iTunes store. It does help us um, in a bizarrely significant way based on their rating system. And today, as a, as a gift, I have a great topic and a great guest. Well, we always have great guests, but we're talking with Rob Wu, the CEO and co-founder of CauseVox, uh, a platform that helps you do crowd fundraising. But more importantly, he has tremendous insights, both as a sort of expert in uh, donor behavior, but also as sort of how to manage customers, how to manage a platform and take care of them. So we're going to have an interesting conversation that brings us ultimately to this thought experiment of saying what happens when we treat our donors the way good company treats its customers, looking at donor retention and strategies for how we can improve that uh, as a nonprofit. I'm here with Rob Wu, the CEO of CauseVox. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. So we ran into each other uh, again at a bar in San Jose at, a, at the Nonprofit Technology Conference. It was good seeing you. It was good seeing you, too. Hopefully you had a great time there. I always have a great time. That's on me. But I, I want to hear a bit more about uh, what CauseVox, first off, is for those that don't know it and what you guys are up to. So why don't you fill us in? Sure. So what CauseVox is, we're a nonprofit crowdfunding platform, as well as a peer-to-peer fundraising platform for nonprofits and social good projects. What that means is that our users, which are typically nonprofits or individuals with social good projects, they can use our online software to create their own donation pages, crowdfunding campaigns, and peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns as well. So we handle everything from helping you use our easy-to-use site editor that allows you to design a customized campaign site, all the way to launching personal and team pages if your campaign needs that, all the way to some of the back office functions as well, like donation receipts, customized or uh, customized reporting or anything like that. Gotcha. So... How long have you guys been around and what sort of metrics do you guys focus on in, in order to tell that you're growing? Yeah, so we've been around for about six years. We started a company in 2010 and it's been an incredible journey so far, meaning that um, I'm one of the co-founders of the company itself, of CauseVox. So it was interesting to see how much we've grown in the past few years. Uh, we've grown at a rate of over 100% every year, which is amazing. And there are a few metrics that we look at in order to really track our progress. Um, The first one is being around platform metrics itself, meaning how many people are using our product as well as how that's translating into more usage of certain features. So platform metrics for us really include the number of fundraising campaigns being 
launched the number of fundraising campaigns raising money, as well as uh, total donations raised per per day, per week, per month, as well as some more of the platform side of things like uh, the number of blog posts being created or the number of personal pages or teams being created as well. So that's definitely the first part of some of our metrics. Gotcha. So how many organizations are currently leveraging uh, leveraging the platform? So what I can tell you is that over 40,000 people have used Causebox for crowdfunding campaigns. And we're excited to help out tens of thousands more this year. That's amazing. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious, like, you know, we, we kind of sometimes get lost in these numbers of, like, yeah, 40,000 people here. We've got thousands using this. Give me a story that just sort of lights you up in the morning being like, that's why I created this thing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's so many kind of, uh, of the stories. Well, the first one I want to share with you is, like, why we actually created Cosmox. So uh, six years ago, actually more seven years ago, before we started the company, my co-founder and I, Jeff, Jeff is the CTO, and uh, we he was building submarines for the Navy and I was consulting for the NSA. And one of the things that uh, we wanted to do was to find work that was really purposeful for us, that we were passionate about. So we started volunteering for different organizations um, in DC. One of them was called End Poverty. And what we had to do was go on a volunteer project abroad so we can help out some NGOs with some of their IT infrastructure and some of their marketing. And at the time, there wasn't any good tools to use in order to really fundraise for your volunteer trip. So we actually built our own and we raised a ton of money and we brought along some friends as well. And the project was just amazing in terms of helping some of those NGOs abroad scale their social impact. So that's the first story. And that's one of the reasons why we started the company. And that's what keeps us going. Uh, but we hear stories from our users all the time. Uh, for example, one of the campaigns that just launched again is on our platform is called The Gauntlet. It's by uh, this uh, boarding game um, store, like board games, uh, in Seattle. And every year they run a campaign called The Gauntlet, where they rally uh, companies, individuals, and gaming enthusiasts um, to participate in their event so they can fundraise uh, for a local charity. So last year, um, they aimed to raise $30,000, and they actually raised over $90,000 on their campaign through our Causebox platform. And this year, I'm excited just to see uh, how many people they rally and how they're able to get individuals and organizations and companies really excited about social good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, making it easy for folks to donate around a cause, but also rallying, it seems like, around campaigns. So not just a donate button, but actually a sort of real tactical implementation for, for teams to leverage it around, again, those those moments where people care. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you look at small and medium-sized organizations uh, that are really grassroots-focused, that really depend on a volunteer base that have really grown uh, organically. Uh, capturing and leveraging that passion of people, of giving supporters a way to really be empowered, to not only help with the social mission, but also to help out with the fundraising is a really powerful tool. So uh, that's what Causebox is about. I love it. And the other piece that I really enjoy actually coming out of Causebox is you really have an amazing blog. You focus on creating actual content 
that is designed to help people, that is based on data, uh, and uh, really seems like your your intent is not just the sort of content marketing, but actually content to help people. Uh, what sort of drives that? Yeah, so that's part of our social mission. So you know, we started this company because not only do we want to help out nonprofits and social good with the fundraising software and online software in general, but we really want to help the industry, which are nonprofits and social good enthusiasts, uh, really be empowered so that they can go out there and whether they select Causebox or not for their fundraising solution, to be able to go out there and do things more effectively. So that's part of our social mission. So with uh, with our approach to uh, content marketing or just content development in general, it's really focused on helping uh, individuals who have a reason uh, with the latest insights, case studies, as well as tips in order to to do fundraising, to do marketing, to do crowdfunding or peer-to-peer fundraising in general. Um, all of our materials are not very salesy. They're really meant to edu- educate and empower the reader. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's why I think we change, we exchange so many like tweets back and forth between Whole Whale and Cosbox. Uh, I think we have uh, a very similar approach uh, to to really the, the issue of educating and supporting nonprofits from a technical and data and, and a content side of that uh, is very real. So I want to put you on the spot here and talk about one of these articles that you guys just wrote that caught my uh, caught my imagination thinking about it, titled Four Surprising Donor Retention Statistics. First off, can you give us a little background on where you pulled these data from? Yeah, so uh, this post, um, the four surprising donation uh, donor retention statistics, uh, really came from a recent uh, study by the Association of Fundraising Professionals in the Urban Institute. Um, the report is called the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, and it can be found uh, by going to afpfep.org. So. It's a great resource for nonprofits to really understand uh, donor retention as well as fundraising statistics. Yeah, I love that. So you pulled out four big topics, and the reason we can get into it, why it matters, is because it's not just about acquiring new donors, but it's that age-old concept of saying, hey, you know what, in sales, it's just it's so much easier to keep an existing customer than land a new one. And so that first piece there that just kind of shocked me was that the average donor retention is, is 43%, and like year over year, that's nuts. Yeah, it's definitely nuts because what that means is that around 57% of your donors didn't come back in a whole year. So you're even though you are acquiring new donors and some donors are coming back, but let's say you do you acquire no new donors, then that means you're gonna run out of donations really fast because people are leaving you very quickly. Well, that's really fascinating. You know, it's that simple sort of, and you pay attention to this a lot, it's like a user acquisition strategy. Let's say you had, I don't know, a social media platform, a platform, and you lost more users than you gained every year, and you had to sort of churn through them. Eventually, you run out of the humans. Yeah, it's kind of like um, like a leaky like a leaky boat. You know, you're, even though you're, you're throwing out water, um, more water comes in and in until it sinks you. So focusing on donor retention is actually super important. 
because uh, when you do focus on it, then it's easier for you to build more loyal donors uh, year after year or month after month. But then also you're lowering the amount of work you have to do as well because we all know that fundraising is hard. And one of the reasons why it's hard is because we focus so much on trying to get those new donors. But if you target your existing donors, it makes it work a lot easier for you. Now, the next stat in here is the gift retention rate um, was 47%. Can you explain what that means? How is that uh, different than the previous statistic there? Yeah, the gift retention rate is more about uh, the total uh, donation amount, while the previous statistic around um, the donor retention rate is more about the number of individual donors that return. So uh, retention rate, uh, I mean, let me just give you an example. So if you had 100 donors give $10,000 um, in 2014 and 50 of them returned the next year to give $5,000, then your gift retention rate would be 50%, which is $5,000 divided by $10,000. So the gift retention rate for in this study showed that there was a 47% uh, retention rate. Um, though only 43% of actual donors retain. So this means that uh, nonprofits are actually doing a better job of getting donors to give larger gifts. So yeah, a different way to unpack this is basically we're looking at it from an amount perspective. We're looking at a total giving, and so that can really be thrown off by a noisy outlier. And of course, we're trying harder with you know the people that give more. If I dropped you know ten thousand dollars on your nonprofit, I'm probably on a uh, please email them regularly and keep them in touch, as opposed to if I donated one hundred dollars, I probably don't get that same type of treatment. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's interesting because this is all good news based on those statistics. So it can really help you um, understand that uh, overall as an industry, we're doing a better job of fundraising. The next piece in here, the 19% of first-time donors are retained um, and 63% of repeat donors are retained sort of speaks to this. Once they have gotten used to giving to you a couple of years in a row, you have a much better chance of keeping them. But in that sort of like, all right, we're just getting to know you. Maybe it was like Giving Tuesday and you had your first like $100 donation from somebody. Your chance of keeping them is like less than one in five. Mm -hmm. Right. That's super low. So what this tells me is that uh, people that donate and come back to you for whatever reason, they found something that they really believe in. So they come back over and over again. Um, but for the first time donors, this tells me that the majority of nonprofits in general are doing a very bad job of onboarding new donors to help them understand what, you know, why your cause matters, what you're doing about it, and what the social impact is. So I think we can all do a better job of really onboarding first time donors so that they can really truly understand the value of your work. The thing that kind of drives me a little bit nuts is, I mean, you're running a, you're running like a software donation platform, right? You're running a company. Mm -hmm. If last year I gave you a hundred dollars for services rendered, right? For value, you delivered me some period, some amount of value and you're realizing Q1, Q2, Q3 go by and I haven't renewed my sort of subscription to you. You at least have automated marketing measures that are like pinging me, that are reaching back out, or maybe even beyond at that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, for us as a company, since we're uh, a small platform uh, or a smaller team in general, uh, we have to automate a lot of things. So one of the things that we do do is uh, every time that I see someone downgrade their account or if they don't renew, then I get a notification personally. 
So that allows me to reach out to my specific customers just to see what's wrong or if we can help them anyway, or if they're just taking a break from using a platform because their campaign is over. So I can, ha I can keep a better pulse of what's going on. Uh, but what I feel like for, for nonprofits, uh, they may not have these tools in place or these notifications in general. So, um, so that's why I didn't really know um, that uh, their, their donations or donors aren't returning. Yeah. Can you say maybe a little bit more about that? Like just in terms of rent. So a customer is worth, let's say, $1,000 a year to you potentially. Mm -hmm. You're actually saying like as the, you know, as the CEO, you're literally getting a notification anytime uh, a user drops off and you're giving it like the old, the old college try to get them back on board. Yeah, literally. Like uh, when someone, for example, when someone uh, uh, downgrades their account um, or when someone doesn't come back or doesn't renew, then I get an email. <laughs> so I have to, so basically every single day I can tell who is upgrading, who is downgrading, who's not coming back because that's so important to me. Uh, I want to know how we can add more value or how we can serve these people. So talk to me a bit, maybe it's unfair to say, all right, every major, like, I think where you see this, like, it, it, me implying this is that every CEO of a nonprofit should get an email when, you know, somebody quote unquote doesn't renew their donation in the year, which would get a little nutty. But where do you think the happy medium is? Where do you think the lesson potentially is here when you're thinking about nurturing those first time donors and treating them like customers? Mm. Yeah, that's a great um, insight. So, you know, what I really think is when I look at this 19% figure for first time donors that are retained, uh, that just tells me that we're not doing a good enough job of nurturing. So what that means is that uh, a lot of nonprofits think nurturing as you know a few newsletters or something regular they send on a monthly basis, but that's not really nurturing. Nurturing is really understanding where someone came in and like why they actually want to donate to your nonprofit in the first place, and then sending them the right messages so that um, they can continue supporting you guys. So the first thing I think we can do better is to create better nurturing campaigns for first-time donors. Uh, the second thing that I think we can do better um, is to create the right triggers in our systems so that we get notifications um, that make sense. You know, as uh, for me, I like to know everything that's going on. But if you're the executive director of a nonprofit, you may not want to see everything because you're wearing multiple hats. So maybe what you can do is you can set up some notifications where you get notified when a major donor drops off or doesn't renew the recurring giving, for example, while your team, your staff can then go on a monthly basis and reach out to any of the donors that uh, are not retained. So I think there just needs to be a process in place and a lot of nonprofits that we see and talk to don't have one that makes sense for them. The urgency is always on new donors new donors, new donors. How do we get more people in the funnel so that we can, you know, turn them through this process and get that, that donation? Um, but you're suggesting like a separate nurturing messaging campaign. You're suggesting potentially setting up smart triggers, meaning we're going into our CRM, CRM system and setting, okay, when they maybe made a donation in uh, mid-May, reach back out to them at this point because that is kind of like their one-year subscription time frame. And when you potentially lapse, it means you may not give again. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that can help you automate um, some of the uh, data side of things. But end of the day, when you focus on existing donors, whether they've donated once or donated 10 times, then it's a lot easier to to get a second donation or third or fourth donation from someone that knows you versus someone that doesn't know you. So I think a nonprofit's resources and time are better spent towards uh, taking care of people that uh, already have donated to them so they can grow organically that way. Yeah, we um, we did a podcast with Donors Choose, actually, and talked to the CTO there. Um, and Oliver was talking about how, because uh, it just made me think about this, like, triggers. They have, like, these transactional uh, emails that get automatically fired off by the system when it knows that I may have given to schools with technical needs in the Brooklyn area uh, in the past. And it'll just, like, send me a summary report at, like, these these random, um, obviously not completely random times, and giving me this summary like, hey, we know you gave, you know, last year, here are some schools that are in your area with that same interest. And they get me every time. I also just think it's a brilliant company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really smart because they're matching the donor's interest um, with the right marketing messages, with the right information. So a lot of times we see nonprofits just use, just think of their whole donor base as one segment or maybe two, like major donors and everybody else. And <laughs> they don't really understand, like even major donors and or like a small one-time $50 donor, they have their own preferences, their own demographics, their own interests. So why shouldn't the, the message that you send to these people be different? I mean, they should, it should be tailored. Yeah, or at least think about it more as like a SaaS company, right? Where you're thinking about each individual user as like a customer relationship and saying, all right, big or small, like we need to retain you because if we don't retain you, we're not retaining the system in general. Right. And that's a great point too. Like when you treat your donors as customers, I think that brings in like a different perspective because a lot of times, um, in my experience, uh, running nonprofits, um, you, you treat donors as a way to get funding. Um, and then you kind of forget about them <laughs> after you get the funding and once you start doing the program and work. But when you look at them as a customer, it's really about how can you add value? Like how can you add value to this person that I'm working with? So the question is, how can you add value to a donor, right? They giving you a donation. Well, what do they want in return? Uh, a lot of donors these days, especially millennials, um, 78% of them want to know the impact that's being created. I'm sure that a lot of major donors um, are like that too. They want to see something systematic. They want to see change. They want to get that information. So once you really shift your perspective on what a donor is, it allows you to really expand the scope of how you treat your relationship. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to take a quick left turn. Rob, who do you donate to? I donate to a lot of charities on our platform. So (laughs) (laughs) I imagine you're right. You're a ripe target. Yeah, because one of the things that I love to do is to browse the different campaigns on our platform, as well as to browse um, different stories that people are posting. And one of the new initiatives that I have personally is to read more of the stories that people are posting as part of the campaign. And these are really compelling stories. So sometimes I just make a donation or two anonymously, uh, just so that uh, you know, they can be better supported. Uh, one of the charities that have been supporting in the past few years, um, off the top of my head, is called The Venture Project. 
Um, they're based in New York, and their mission is to add uh, basically venture to uh, social impact and social scaling. So, for example, um, what they do is they partner with social enterprises abroad um, so that uh, they can help scale those social enterprises and change communities. Um, so uh, I've been donating to them for quite a while. Uh, I think currently uh, they got me to become a returning donor as well. I gotcha. How did they get you to become a returning uh, donor? Um, yeah, I am a returning donor, but also a recurring donor, which is even better than a returning because uh, once you're recurring on a monthly basis, then there's a very low attrition rate. So uh, they got me on that. Um, I think one of the ways that they got me is that um, they are a smaller organization, so I have a little bit more insight into uh, some of the struggles, some of the challenges of a small organization, but also they've done a really tremendously good job of reporting. Um, the co-founder of the Venture Project, Becky Straw, she used to work at Charity Water, and she was on the founding team. And I think she learned some of the aspects of how you can take a donation from a donor, but then how important it is to really report on the impact. So with how they do things at the Adventure Project is really focused on, you know, what your $50, what your $100 really has done in the field. You also just skated over one little topic there is, and some nonprofits listening might be being like, see, we don't always get all their information because you said the word anonymous. Sometimes you give anonymously, and that's really frustrating. I wonder how much of that bleeds into some of these statistics. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, but typically, or interesting insight, and typically on platforms or how we do things like Cosbox at least is that even though the, the donation is marked as anonymous on public pages, the, the nonprofit still gets all the information, like the donor name, email address, postal address, um, so that they can um, have that information in their database. So even though it is a quote-unquote anonymous donation, um, it's still attached to a donor record. Oh, that's fantastic. It drives me nuts when, you know, that information is withheld. You know, you see it in different systems uh, because it's crazy, right? The most valuable thing you have is not, you know, that one-time donation. It's the, the poten potential of creating the relationship, which can last um, over many years. Exactly. And when you look at the that relationship, you know, sometimes people quantify that as lifetime value of a donor. And we can actually see kind of the lifetime value of a donor, if you look at it from that perspective, then that allows you to really understand that all donors are major donors. So all donors, big or small, should be treated the same way with that importance. Lifetime customer value is something that is very common in your in your world. How might you go about calculating a lifetime customer value for a nonprofit or for a donor? The lifetime customer value, what it really is, is to understand um, on average, I guess, what is the amount of donations you'll get from one donor over the course of a quote-unquote lifetime. For us, how we do it um, is we look at the customer, we look at the revenue that we can generate from one customer, um, and then if they return, let's say, to make it easy, um, year one, we generate $100. Year two, uh, our retention rate's 50%, just to make math simple. Um, then we get $50, and then they leave. That means the lifetime value of that customer is 100 plus 50, which is $150. So that's the same way you can calculate a donor too. So based on kind of these average stats, you can take the average donation 
and then um, take 43% of it and add the full donation to it, 43%, and that'll give you like a rough lifetime value figure. But Rob, we could continue on because I know that 63% of repeat donors are retained. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can go on and on and on until we get a more accurate figure. But for a lot of nonprofits, um, you can do this simple math, but you really have to look at your data um, to look at, okay, like uh, what are the percentages of uh, donors that come back um, uh, the next year? And then what is the average donation? And then you can calculate uh, the lifetime value that way. There's another piece here um, in that when we've got the repeat donors, for the researchers, they said they found that for long-term retention and giving levels um, for over seven years, 53% of donors giving less than 100, while 77, 76% of donors giving more than $250 were retained. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like, it, in the grand scope of things, like that much money for that big a difference in percentages. Yeah, yeah, but I think what's interesting is that, um, like, especially like the uh, the donors that gave over a certain amount, you know, the, over the two fifty amount, those people were retained, while those giving uh, less than a hundred dollars, a less lesser percentage were retained. It's interesting to see that uh, those that gave more had a higher retention rate, and maybe that's a function of. Them being categorized as more of a uh, of a major donor, so that they got more attention, or maybe those type of donations were higher because they saw uh, more potential value of supporting the nonprofit. So I think it's just some interesting perspectives from that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not that that crazy a stat uh, because you know you're talking about once you give um, an amount that's significant to you, you're you're falling into like an influential tactic of identity alignment. It is part of my identity to give to this organization in a meaningful way every year. Kind of like think about board members giving. You're like, I'm gonna give. This is what I give to. This is you know part of my portfolio. Yeah, and it could be that like those who gave like small amounts, it was just more casual giving. Well, uh, you know, they, they didn't think too much before before making a, a donation, and then because of that, uh, there wasn't a really strong bond that occurred between the donor and a nonprofit. Yeah, the other thing that for reoccurring, and I don't know if you get into this, are our events. So uh, one of my good friends, Sue Bellata, who's probably listening to this, does a, an amazing event, uh, Tips for Parkinson's, that I go to every year. I you know donate and support, uh, but that like pretty much guarantees that I'm going to give that much to the cause every year. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing uh, because uh, th- that's just kind of systematically nurturing your uh, your existing donors so they return over and over. Uh, it's kind of like a, there's a take on this called step ups where you get your donors to um, kind of renew their donation as well as give a little bit more. So they enter into a new category of donor that you can recognize them for. So it's kind of interesting to see what different techniques people are using. Oh, is that like the T, like the, what is it? The P, not PBS, the public, yeah, public broadcasting being like, if I give like a little bit more, I'll get a tote bag kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's like a little tote bag or it could just be recognition in general. Like, you know, um, uh, if you give like, let's say $10,000 in in two years, then you're part of the, you know, the, the golden leadership circle. Or if you give 20 in, in like two years, then you're at some other different level. So it's just more like 
it's interesting to see kind of what techniques some certain nonprofits are using in order to get their donors to not only renew, but also give a little bit more and get that extra recognition. A more frustrating stat here of the organizations that have been around for less than five years retained 40% of donors. So like controlling for nothing else, just being young means you're retaining fewer people, which I think of it the opposite way. I love supporting the underdog, like new upstart organizations. And I, you know, for smaller organizations, feel like my dollar goes farther. Why, why is this happening? Oh, I don't know. I mean, this could be a, a lot of different variables. Uh, you know, my hypothesis is that uh, younger organizations are typically smaller and they're also typically don't have the right infrastructure in place, either the right systems, processes, or um, kind of fundraising experience in place to really understand that it's about retention. So they don't focus as much on it. So that's kind of my hypothesis. The other hypothesis is that um, some people think that uh, organizations that have been around for a long time, you know, they have withstood the test of time in general, and they built a brand, they built systems in place, I guess, and uh, they're essentially more proven and more trustworthy. So more donors uh, return back to donate to them. So it could be different things. What do you think, George? I got to disagree with this, like, the trustworthiness factor. You've already given once. You sort of, like, you got them to open the wallet, which is, like, the biggest hurdle ever. I think I'm more probably on the side of saying they don't have the nurturing engine, the, the communications and strategy in place to say, holy heck, we need to make sure these people stay with us because they trusted us once. Now let's make sure we, we treat them right. Yeah, and I think that's very true because typically if an organization is under five years old, um, that is a startup nonprofit, so meaning their, their budgets are probably anywhere between zero and um, more likely than not under a million dollars as well. Oh, yeah, three quarters of all nonprofits are under a million dollars, so that's a yeah. safe, safe bet one way or the other. <laughs> safe bet. Yeah, so what that means is that you know uh, they, they probably don't have a system in place uh, if they do have a system, it's probably basic, meaning that it's just a CRM for their donor data. So they don't have uh, like a lot of nurturing campaigns in place as well because they may not have the right marketing expertise or the right, the right fundraising expertise. And they're so busy focused on maybe doing traditional fundraising like events and galas or like one-time donations that um, they haven't seen or enough time pass to really understand the value of a returning donor. Yeah, that's true. So you have at the bottom here seven tried and true donor retention strategies. I wonder if we can't rattle through them. All right. So seven tried and true. So the first one is that uh, send donors a personalized thank you. So obviously um, donors want to be recognized on a personal fashion. Like if I get a customer. Um, that signs up for our platform. Uh, for some of them, I send them a personal thank you note uh, just saying um, how I'm grateful that they signed up. By the same way, uh, donors can be treated with that personal touch as well. So that definitely helps build a relationship so that um, donating is, is more than just helping with a cause. It's building a relationship with somebody human that values their financial contribution. Yeah, I think uh, as an example, going back to donors, donors choose. When you get that like little letter written by kids from the classroom, like that's that is the 
gold, gold standard for it. But you can even automate some of these things saying like, hey, here's my personal message direct from the CEO to you triggered like two days after your gift. I love that. All right, next. Uh, you have set your donors up with volunteer opportunities. Yeah, this is more about engagement. So uh, providing more ways for um, some of your donors to really see the impact of the work. So let's say you're a soup kitchen and you get a new donor, and but the donor has maybe hasn't seen uh, the specific work that you guys do, more than just photos and a video that they saw through a campaign, then actually connecting that donor with helping somebody is a powerful experience. So, and that really helps with nurturing as well. Yeah, I think it also works as a gateway drug to giving. A uh, big stat that I always love quoting from Volunteer Match's research is that a volunteer is 10 times more likely to give than someone who hasn't actually engaged with your organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be like a specific volunteer opportunity where a volunteer goes somewhere. You know, it could be pro bono volunteering or volunteering virtually, or it could be participating in a different way too, like helping out uh, nonprofit staff with uh, with an event or something like that too. I love this idea of expanding what quote unquote a volunteer opportunity is. I think we all think of like Habitat for Humanity rolling up your sleeves and playing with like a circular saw. Actually, you just need some sort of form of engagement. Hopefully that's meaningful both to the volunteer and to the organization. But you can design these things online, certainly by saying, give us your thoughts on our new design. Give us, you know, three ideas for uh, new pieces of content or what do you think about, you know, there's ways of drawing that engagement out, um, which mm -hmm. is really great. Yeah, it's definitely about participation and finding ways that uh, so that anybody could participate whether they have um, you know five minutes or you know a whole day so providing that connection is super important okay we have learn about your donors including their philanthropic passions family and employment this sounds like creepy data stuff yeah it is creepy data stuff so uh, this is about knowing who your donors are um, more than just the dollar signs next to their names so uh, this is important because the more you know about who you're trying to serve, then the better and more effective you'll be at it. So and a lot of times this is about uh, understanding their demographics, like their age, um, what kind of what kind of jobs they work at, you know, corporate versus blue collar, or what kind of uh, what's their family situation? Are they more like single men or are they families? Um, and just really understanding like what their interests are as well. Uh, because for example, like if, if you understand that uh, a lot of your donors are really into, let's say board games, then you can craft a campaign or you can craft your marketing message and your fundraising appeal around that kind of concept. So the more you know, the more effective you'll be. I feel like playing the, the more you know slogan, only the <laughs> version of it. Uh, number four, regularly share your results with donors. What do you mean by regularly? So this is about on a, on a uh, periodic basis or on a basis that makes sense, on a, on a very consistent basis um, to tell the story of the impact that you're creating with the donations um, that you've gotten from a donor. So. And the key is regular, meaning that it has to be on a consistent basis. Um, similar to for us at Cosbox, we we publish content on a very regular basis, three times a week, three blog posts a week, 
uh, one, about two online guides or ebooks a month. So we have a specific calendar that we're trying to meet. And for nonprofits, you should have the same calendar too. Like what you publish to donors, what you send out to donors, it has to be on a regular and consistent basis. Number five, connect with them through social media or asking them to sign up for your newsletter. I mean, hopefully you already have their email if they've given, but I guess that's not necessarily uh, true. Yeah, that's not necessarily true depending on the channel they come in. Um, but number five, this one is really about finding the right way to connect with your donor. So, um, and finding additional channels because we all know that things that are posted on Facebook or Twitter may not be seen um, by uh, by all your donors or things that are sent through email may not be open as well. So the more channels you have to connect with, with your donors, uh, the more chances of engagement that you have. Number six, schedule donor-centric events such as networking opportunities or appreciation luncheons. Yeah, so, so the key here is that um, it, when when nonprofits run events, a lot of times it's really focused on fundraising. It's it's like, hey, we we're doing a happy hour, let's raise funds, or hey, we're doing a dinner, let's raise funds. But a lot of times there there aren't any kind of opportunities for just a donor base and supporter base to get together. And when you look at it from a perspective of helping your your donor base build community, then that gets really exciting because you, the stronger community they have in general, the more people, uh, the more donors know about each other and uh, why they give, then the stronger of a uh, donor base that you have and more retainment you'll have as well. Yeah, I mean, that, it's like, it takes, a lot of work on that sort of flywheel of getting it going to build um, that community, but certainly is worth it once you get it going. A great example, I think, is the uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, the Team Fox program, um, and like Sue is a part of that. So she's part of this community fundraising program, and then she just runs this event on her own. And the staff of the actual organization really don't have to do very much other than like attend and have a great time, and then uh, obviously um, reap the reward as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think that's kind of like uh, what we mentioned before earlier on some of these tips where it's providing additional uh, engagement opportunities, touch points, as well as opportunities for people to serve. So the serving th th doesn't just have to be a program-specific volunteer opportunity. It, be, it could be creating these uh, social events for donors or social events for major supporters. So uh, I think that makes it really exciting for uh, for nonprofits to really go out there and uh, empower their supporters to build a community for the nonprofit. So that's exciting. Yeah. And then our final piece here, uh, make your donor feel, feel irreplaceable. Continue to let them know that you can't do your work without their support. Yeah, this one is super important where, um, for, for me, every customer matters. So I, I do customer visits even if, so I'll go visit a customer even if they're not a major customer. Uh, like meaning that they didn't raise a ton of money, they're a small organization and that kind of thing. Uh, because they matter to me. Uh, even the small people who, um, who struggled on a campaign, they matter because I want to see them be successful. And when I meet with them, I can really understand what we can do better at Cosbox in order to empower them. Um, and that makes them feel irreplaceable. That makes them feel valued. So that's the same thing your donor should feel too. They should feel special. Um, when someone feels special and when someone feels like you actually care about them, 
um, that you're grateful, then they will want to continue supporting you because people like to support and work with good people. And then you sort of, uh, at the end of this article, I love the, I love the math here. I'm not going to say it's misleading. It's just awesome uh, where you talk about a 1% improvement in donor retention can can lead to results as much as $1,000 to $100,000 in additional funding. Yeah, you're not looking to, like, double this overnight. You can have marginal improvements in donor retention with fantastic value. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the more you move the needle, the more you increase the percentage of um, donors that come back to you, then the more funds you'll get very easily. Yeah, it's the the same idea, I think, of year-over-year improvement looking at compound interest. And, you know, humans aren't really great at understanding the power of compound interest. But if you're able to improve even 1% year-over-year, that provides significant value. Imagine your 401k improving by 1% just, just because. 1% every single year compounded over X number of years, uh, you're a much happier uh, individual and organization as a result. Yeah, and I think that's the perspective of looking at it from a long-term, um, long-term outlook where even a 1% shift um, can make big changes over the course of a few years. So more tactically, you can think about, you know, if 1% is helping you get uh, one additional donor, let's say, let's say a really small organization, and that donor gives a couple hundred dollars a month, then that's basically just uh, free, easy donations to, to get. So why not try for it? Absolutely. Doing the little things right over time can make a huge difference. Rob, thanks so much for for joining us. Um, A question I personally am always interested in, as you look at the nonprofit sector, if you had a sort of magic wand that could change exactly like one thing, process, or approach that nonprofits do, if you had a wand that you could wave over the sector and make a change uh, to make it better, what what would it be? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, there's so many things I would change, but one uh, thing. It's a very, it's a very weird wand. <laughs> Only one. Um, I, I would wave the wand so that uh, nonprofits can tell better stories. So I'm a big fan of storytelling because I believe that the better stories people tell, the better stories that nonprofits tell, uh, the more engagement they'll get, the more uh, social media shares they'll get, the more emails will be read, and the more donations and impact they'll have as well. So uh, my, my vote is on storytelling. I love that. Good way to end. Rob, how do people find you? How do people help you? Yeah, so you can find me um, at www.causevox.com. That's C-A-U-S-E-V-O-X.com. That's Causevox website. Uh, we have tons of resources too. So if you go to causevox.com slash blog, all our resources are free to download, uh, free to read as well. Um, you can always contact me directly too. So I'm always open to emails. You can email me directly, which is rob, R-O-B, at causevox.com. Or you can connect, can connect with us on social, uh, such as Twitter, which is at causevox. Very cool. And we will, of course, have a bunch of links in our show notes so people can find you and harass you. (laughs) Thanks so much, George. That definitely gave me a lot to think about. New things to analyze and a different approach and a methodology behind analyzing donors and behavior. It's not just about getting new people in the door. Because if it is, you're going to run out of the people that truly potentially care about your organization. Retaining donors, 
may be the most significant thing you could be doing this type of, this time of year, going back and saying, who donated to us in Q4, which obviously we get all of our donations for the most part in that period of time, but who donated and how are we treating them now, right? We, we can quickly forget the people that helped us back then. And also, this is the type of work, the, the segmenting and cleaning your data and setting up automatic, uh, automatic messaging through our, through our different CRMs. This is the type of work that is not urgent, uh, and it doesn't even seem to come up as important either, but it should be. This is like high importance urgency, so it ends up in that, in that strange area of work that we always seem to put off. But remind yourself, you know, if you're batting around 47% of donor retention, if you increase that by just a few percentage points, I mean, that's huge. And that's huge over time because if you set up an intelligent trigger that says, hey, this is your one year donor anniversary, why not renew your donation to this organization? And by the way, using the word renew rather than donate reminds them that they actually have already committed to the organization. So you have a bit of identity alignment and it's actually been proven in many different A-B tests to perform better. So that's a free one. Maybe that's enough to move it up to um, at least important, if not urgent, for your workflow. I'll leave it there today. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. Happy 50th anniversary. No, happy 50th episode, uh, Whole Whale. Resources, as always, can be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at wholewhale. And thanks for joining us. Today's music from Greg Thomas, and you can find his music at gregthomasmusic.org. Special thanks to this guy. Uh, it's our theme music and as of late, pretty much all of the interlude music uh, coming from him. Uh, really love his new stuff, so definitely go go check it out if you're working on any type of media project that that needs the music, which I imagine most do.